This episode is sponsored by Moving Beyond the Page Homeschool Curriculum, How Children Want to Learn. Learn more at www.movingbeyondthepage.com. Welcome to the Savvy Homeschool Moms Podcast. Episode number 59. In this episode, the moms talk about what they've been up to since they last recorded and share the first half of their interview with Julie Bogart, founder and owner of the language arts and writing curriculum, Brave Writer. <laughs> Mom, where's my glasses? Honey, where's my glasses? Mom, Mom, can I have a drink? Why is the dog wearing a tutu? Where are my shoes? Honey, is this one of your science projects in the fridge? I'm hungry. I'm Tina. I'm Becky. And we're the Savvy Homeschool Moms. As we're recording this on November 14th, the events of Paris are still unfolding. We at the Savvy Homeschool Moms would just like to say that our thoughts are with the people of Paris. So, Tina, what's the time code this week to skip to the end of our chit-chat? 39 minutes, 30 seconds. And what have you guys been up to? Well, let's see. It has been so, so long. So, so much has happened, actually. Um since the last time we talked, uh, we finally got, <laughs> our neighborhood finally was rid of the neighbors from H-E Double Hockey Sticks. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned in this show before that we had some really horrible neighbors across the street before. So uh, um, really happy and wonderful to finally have a peaceful neighborhood again. Yay! <laughs> yeah, they were really... Uh, really bad really really bad so I think they had nine kids and they were always outside and cursing and yelling and screaming and yeah it was bad it was really really bad <laughs> so that was a very joyful thing that happened Yay. and I know <laughs> my, my next door neighbor and I were texting back and forth wait I think I see boxes outside wait I think that I see furniture being moved outside mm-hmm. oh, it mm-hmm. looks like I think they're leaving yay <laughs> <laughs> So that was a happy thing. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? Oh, the Amazing Race 20, season 27 finally started. And that was very exciting because we are very much into homeschooling with the Amazing Race. And as I know I have mentioned many times on this show before, um, we uh, we like to um, supplement uh, our homeschooling with, and we've actually done a show on this too. Didn't we do an episode on this? Yes, on, we did. on homeschooling with the amazing race yes we did so uh we'll put the link in the show notes to that uh episode where we talked about how to uh turn the amazing race into an educational experience um and also i have we did a whole episode i know we did that on my noodle homeschool but those of you guys who are not familiar with it will put that link in the show notes as well uh, to learn about that. But I did start season 27 of Noodle Homeschool, which is an online curriculum that I, not curriculum, what do I call it? Uh, Online course. That's what I'll call it. That's what I call it as an online course. I always call it curriculum because that's what you're used to saying, you know, but it's not really a curriculum per se. It's more of a course um, that supplements uh, what you're seeing on the show. Um, for your kids. So that's really fun. So I got that started. So if you're interested in that, check the show notes um, for links to learn more about that. And uh, if you want to go directly to the website, it's homeschoolrealm.com forward slash noodle, as in like spaghetti noodles, kind of use your noodle. It's kind of like a play on words there. (laughs) 
and um, check that out. That's really fun. I'm, and it doesn't matter that the season is already underway. You can still join in because this uh, season is uh, streamable online um, even after the fact. And then the classes don't go away even after the fact. You can still get season 26 as well. So um, awesome. not making them go away. They can still be used whenever. So. That's cool. My kids are enjoying that. Well, my son is. My daughter is too busy with high school type work <laughs> right now. <laughs> She's already busy with that, so I didn't I didn't encourage her to. Uh, I told her if she wanted to do it, she's welcome to do it, but she was like, I'm too busy. <laughs> so she's not doing that now, but she is doing the uh, uh, watching the show with us as a family. It's every Friday night we get a, we sit together and watch The Amazing Race. So it's awesome. exciting. We've already, we're on uh seventh country i believe they went to poland last night so that was fun uh let's see started park day with friends uh last episode that we recorded it was still quite hot in the triple digits here in august and now it is of course nice and cool finally it did take until it was like the end of october before it finally cooled off it, it was, was still pretty crazy. warm on Halloween. Yes, it was crazy. We were still in the 90s in Halloween. It, uh, like on Halloween. Was it 90s? It was 80s, I think, on Halloween. Eight, yeah, it was the high 80s, I would say. Yeah, it was. It was, But we were still in the 90s late late in October. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. It was a very late, hot season for us. Because normally we're cooled off by, by mid-October. And it was phew, crazy. So, um, anyway, so we started Park Day in August. But we were kind of here and there. And uh, it's been exciting for us because we haven't had a, a schedule or a routine park day with our local homeschool group in a while. So it's been fun. It kind of started off with a bang and we had a, a fair amount of people going. And then just as the weather changed and it got beautiful out, people stopped coming. So I'm not sure what's going on and everybody's been busy. And so I just recently posted on the group going, what's going on, you guys? Come back. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, But we're still going every week. When the weather's nice, um, which it's been beautiful last like month, um, every Friday, and um, it's been really fun. I really love being able to get out and get to the park with my kids and uh, and socialize with other people. And we've been meeting new people, which has been great. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, there's been new people that we've been meeting, and I love that opportunity to be able to to get to know some new homeschool families in the neighborhood. And there's a there's a new family that's moved to the area that has. A 15-year-old girl and a 12-year-old girl that I'm really eager for Maven to meet. So I'm crossing my fingers that that'll be something that will turn out to be a really neat thing. We'll see. Um, yeah, they weren't able to make it last week because their house was closing. They just bought a new house, so they're going to come next week. So yay. Um, let's see. Tier and start a piano lessons since the last time we talked on the show. Um, so that's been really fun. He's never taken them before, so it's been a... My, it's my next door neighbor, <laughs> which is really cool. He just mm. walks over at the time when the time comes. So that's, that's pretty me. awesome. Yeah, he's a neat guy. I, I really like him a lot. So that's been fun. Um, October was absolutely bananas for us. Oh, my gosh. Maven has been obsessed with her costume. So I, I think I mentioned before that she had been making this fur suit for a while. She started making it at the end of the school year or the beginning of the summer. And then she decided, well, two months, I don't think it's been two months, month and a half maybe, that she knew she wasn't going to have it ready in time for Halloween. So she switched gears to a human dragon costume and um, was working entirely on that. And everything else just got chucked by the wayside. So all of our schoolwork got kind of 
uh, pushed to the wayside as she focused entirely. Well, and it, it kind of worked out because one of her school classes is, is called crafts. Um, she's actually getting credit for what she was working on. So, <laughs> so that's kind of cool. That's cool. Um, and then by the time she finished, she had clocked so many hours. We didn't, we don't actually write it down, but just, she literally like from dawn till dusk has been, had been working like a month straight on this costume. Um, and, uh, I told her at the end when, when, when Halloween was over, I said, I think you've finished the semester on that class at this point. <laughs> Let's go back to the other classes you neglected. <laughs> so, um, but she literally worked on it every day constantly. So she had to make, she paper mache um, horns and attached them to a headband and she made a t really ornate tail. Um, it had all this, it's it had this entire process and she's been taking notes and, and photographing the entire process and she's putting tutorial she's creating a tutorial to put up on her blog um if she, if it does ever get to the point where it's live because she's still tweaking it um and if she gives me permission i will put links in the show notes to it um and definitely will post it on homeschool realm um but uh it's fantastic um the work that she's done i mean she learns so much from this and she does all her research online and finds ideas from all these different um costume blogs and um she just goes on to pinterest and she finds ideas and then the wings oh my gosh the wings were so yes. elaborate crazy and she and her dad had been working it's like an engineering design that she had to come up with that the two of them had to come up with and all of the stuff that they had to do that's like a wooden frame and it moved and it like so she could she could flap her wings and had it was fabric covered but at the last minute they had to change it because the fabric kept catching on the wooden part of the just one part would kept catching on it and she was worried it was going to rip the whole fabric so at the last minute like she's working t on this an hour into halloween <laughs> into the halloween <laughs> party into her Halloween slash birthday party. <laughs> and I remember. Uh, yes, I know. I was like, oh, can we be done with this already? But she had spent so much time on it, I wasn't going to. She was already stressed out, tears and everything, like trying to get this to work. I was not going to say, okay, just stop and go with your friends because this was like so important to her. Um, and, uh, but she, she made it work finally. And um, uh, she took the back of the fabric off eventually so you could see the framework of the wings and um i thought that was actually really cool and so when you walked behind her you could see the frame of her of her wings and then the front had the purple fabric and i'll put a I'll have to put a picture in the show notes of that i don't have a picture where she was standing sideways where you could see her tail though um i kept meaning i gotta get her to put the costume back on so i can take a picture with the tail um uh but and then nobody else seemed to have taken one with the tail where you can see the tail either. But I do have pictures where you can see the wings. She's got the wings spread out and it's pretty darn cool. So, and she came up with the whole thing herself. It's just amazing. I'm thinking that she may have a, a future in costume design. <laughs> I have a friend who does that. Yeah. It's just amazing. I, I cannot believe just the stuff that she's come up with and she's learned from this. So anyway, and then uh, since her birthday part birthday is November 4th, we decided to combine her birthday with Halloween this year since she's too old for trick or treating now. She turned 15. So we also at the same time of figuring out her costume, we're planning a birthday party. So we did it on Halloween at my parents' house where we normally go trick or treating. Uh, had to work on the Halloween party as well. So that was Oh, craziness. And then the day of Halloween, the party, uh, I was supposed to be 
I was going to go to my parents' house early and do all kinds of setting up. We had actually gone the day before and done a bunch of decoratings, luckily, so that that was good. Um, but I had planned to finish it up and work on the food the night, the morning of and the afternoon of, but I never got there until like 5 o'clock and the party started at 6. Because I was spent running errands the whole day getting last-minute stuff for her costume and <laughs> parts <laughs> that they didn't know that they needed and... <laughs> <laughs> because they had to stay and focus on working on the, the wings and getting them to work. So, um, and I, and they were already super stressed out. I wasn't going to make things worse. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I just won't make all the stuff I had planned on making. And the decorations didn't get completed the way I had planned, but it's okay. It's all good. It's fine. It still all worked out well. I yeah, mean, the party was still fantastic. So yeah, exactly. So I always, I always over plan anyway, so it's fine if not everything gets what? done. No. It always, it always ends up that there's always multiple things that don't happen that I plan to have happen. So uh, that's fine because I always plan more than I can actually do. So that's good. So yeah, no, it was fun and, and it worked out fine. And so yeah, and it was a lot of fun and a Halloween birthday party is cool. The best part I think was the, uh, the scavenger hunt that we did. That was really, that was like a epiphany I had one day when Maven was stressing out about what, what activities are we going to do? Cause they're too, the kids are too old at this point, ranging from age like 11 and 12 up through Maven's age 15. And although I think she's the oldest one. I think she, I think the young, I think she is. Yeah, the rest of them are like 13 or 14, I think. But, um, I was like, what are we going to do? And then it just came to me. I'm like, let's do a scavenger hunt where you have to go out and find costumed characters. Like, you go out. And so we, and then Adam came up with the idea to do it as a bingo instead of just a scavenger, but um, where you have to go and check off on a list of, uh, you know, can you find a Star Wars character? Can you find a, and, and specific ones and generic. So it's like a Star Wars character or Luke Skywalker or. Chewbacca or um, Disney Princess, Elsa, um, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a minion, um, and then like decorations, like find a giant spider, a, a severed hand, a uh, you know, <laughs> some fog, <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. So they had a big old list of bingo. It was like in a bingo sheet. I found a bingo generator online. That was the best find ever, <laughs> <laughs> and I plugged in all of my things that I had come up with that the kids and I had come up with and generated bingo cards. And then everybody could, the idea was that everybody could travel together, but of course they, they split up anyway. But the idea was since they had bingo cards, they could all stick together and, and, and work on it together, but they didn't. But so next year we might not do it as a bingo, but, um, and then uh, go and find these things and check it off your list. And then at the end, whoever has the most wins and that worked out and it was really super fun. And then they were still able to go out amongst the trick-or-treaters and enjoy the festivities and, and be out amongst all that. Um, but they didn't, you know, they didn't go trick-or-treating, so, but they right. still got to enjoy it. So that was really fun. And they said it was fun. So cool. they, seem, they seem to have fun and, uh, we have already started thinking of what we'll do with that next year if, if we'll do it again and, and how we could improve on it. So <laughs> try and think cool. of better ways to, to make the scavenger hunt even more interesting. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a good, we're on to something, I think. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love doing it at my parents' house because then I don't have to clean my house ahead of time. So because <laughs> my house is <laughs> always a wreck and that's always the biggest amount of work is just getting my house cleaned in order to have a party. <laughs> So that was really cool. So, and then let's see, we've been doing all kinds of interviews. That's been, uh, that's been happening a lot lately. That's, uh, we did our interview, which, uh, we're going to do the first half of 
today, which is really exciting, this Brave Rider one. And then we've had our um, Day in the Life interviews. So we've actually finally been getting back on track with interviews. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, hopefully we will come up with some more ideas soon. Actually, I already have a couple of ideas that we'll have to talk about. And um, if you guys have any ideas, please email us at moms at Savvy Homeschool Moms. If you have any ideas for interviews that you'd like to hear, please let us know or topics that you'd like to hear on the show that we would definitely like to hear it because I'd like to see us get back on track again. We got way off track um, for doing episodes and I think we can get back on track again. I know we can. Yes. Um, and lastly, the biggest thing in my life right now is Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, I am so into Periscope. I'm not going to go into gigantic details because I feel like we could actually do an episode about this, but or maybe not. I actually wrote a whole blog post about it. So if you want to learn about it, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. But just briefly, Periscope is a um, is an app for smartphones. They have it for Android and for iPhone. And it's a streaming video app where the person, uh, where people can broadcast video and you can also, as an attendee, can go into watch a video as it's being streamed and participate in watching the video. So the person who's broadcasting can show you what's going on live um, in their life, um, whatever, like if they're watching something happening, a concert or a, um, uh, if they're watching a, a lecture or um, maybe they're just like at Disneyland or, I mean, there's all kinds of things. People are using it in really creative ways and um uh, i like to watch there's a lady that broadcasts from the monterey bay aquarium she works at the monterey bay aquarium and she broadcasts a different animal almost every day and um, answers questions about them Tieran got to learn about jellyfish the other day it was really cool and then you type into the chat and ask your questions um because there there's comments that you can type as a as a viewer of the of this scope they call them scopes um you get to ask questions of them and then they'll answer the questions live right there. And it's super cool. Um, especially as a homeschooler, um, it can be really educational. So Tiran loves that he can hear her like voice answering his questions, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then like the last time we, we were scoping with this, this Monterey Bay aquarium woman, her, her name's Andy. Um, he asked her what he, uh, he had me type what, what's, what's your favorite jellyfish? And she told him, and we had to Google it afterwards, of course, because we never heard of it. And then she said, what's your favorite jelly? <laughs> and he was like, oh, like, like, it was exciting that she was asking his. And he said he didn't know. And she's like, oh, you don't know? <laughs> you need to find mm-hmm. out, you know? So, And now his favorite jellyfish, of course, is the, same, is the one that she just told us is her favorite because we went and looked it up and it's really cool looking. It's like, pur- has like purple stripes. It's really cool looking. I don't cool. remember what it's called. I think I wrote it down. But, um. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we follow this guy that uh, broadcasts from the savannas in Africa, live from the savannas of Africa. I don't know how he does that with data, but <laughs> somehow yeah, really. he's able to broadcast from the savanna of Africa, and he's a wildlife photographer. Um, pretty amazing. Um, yeah, he was broadcasting uh, penguins at one point. I didn't even know they had penguins in South Africa. But, yes. Uh, yeah, apparently they have. They were on the, on the shore and south uh, the rocky shore and they were showing these cute little penguins and their people kept going penguins in africa (laughs) (laughs) yes yes we do have penguins yes um watering hole a lot of times he'll show like the savanna and he'll show like a um watering hole and there was like wildebeests and and uh zebras one time it was really cool and one time there was elephants in it and yeah it's just really really cool lions 
one time there was lions. I mean, this is wild animals out in the savanna. So, yeah, very, very cool. So, um, and there's uh, that I could see watching. Oh yeah, there's amazing, amazing things. I've I've only just started discovering this. I think I've been on there about a month now, and I've only just started discovering things. And um, and then there's a whole uh, Facebook group called Homeschool Scopes where you can follow all kinds of homeschoolers, and they are scoping all kinds of inspirational and um, educational stuff uh, to help moms and dads um, that are homeschooling to get ideas and 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 information to help them with their homeschool days and um, just to pump each other up and to help each other out and and lots of like um, the kind of stuff that you would see people blogging about a lot of bloggers are doing it and the stuff that they blog about the kind of really inspirational stuff you see people blogging about they're scoping about it too and they're talking and there's some amazing information being shared so there's different kinds of scopes that you see there's the stuff where people are out on the fields you know out in action and then there's the stuff where people are just talking to you and sharing information and they're both equally awesome, I think, for different different reasons, you know. So you just got to get in there and find out what it is that you want, like what 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 appeals to you, or it might appeal different things might appeal to you on different days. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I watch a lot of homeschool related stuff, educational type stuff, and a lot of fun stuff. I've with all the Paris stuff going on, I've been watching lots of Periscopes live from Paris, and um, but I watch stuff from all over the world too. So, and uh, yeah, and just amazing, amazing stuff. There's a lot of garbage on there too, but it's the internet. There's always garbage on the internet, so just you know, <laughs> <laughs> once you figure out it's garbage, you click off of it and you go somewhere else. <laughs> right, right. And as I say in the blog post, it's not a child-friendly app. There's no, there's no filters. So I'll put that caveat on there. It's not child-friendly. Uh, read the article that I wrote. I'm not, I, I said I wasn't going to go into detail, and I went into way more detail than I planned to. Read my, <laughs> read my article. I talk a lot about why it's not child-friendly. There's no filters. So read my article, and I'll talk talk more about that. But um, uh, there's, you know, you got to get to know who's scoping to find out if they're appropriate. But you still don't have any control over what the commenters will say, and there's no filters. So turn the chat off if, if that's a concern to you. So, um, But anyway... There, there's my very not so brief <laughs> talk about <laughs> Periscope, and I do feel like maybe we should do a, at least a, um, um, a segment. Segment, yeah, a segment about it. Maybe not an entire show, but a segment where I can talk in more detail about it. Um, but uh, yeah, go check it out. And I am scoping. I've only done two scopes so far, but um, uh, I am a homeschool realm on Periscope. So if you get on the app, which I recommend you do and go check it out because it's super fun and I have to say highly addictive, <laughs> get on the app. If you have a smartphone, at least go check it out. Get on the app and immediately follow Homeschool Realm because I want you to follow me because I only just started scoping and I'm having a blast. The first scope I did, I um, scoped about some picture books that I, I'm a huge picture book junkie, former preschool teacher, and I plan to do a lot more. Um, I just haven't found the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I did some picture books. I did a scope about uh, uh, picture books. And um, put, put in the show notes. Thank you. You already did it. I was just going to say we're going to put in the show notes um, the, my catch page, which is um, Periscope 
uh, videos disappear after 24 hours. So if uh, scopers want to save their videos, they have to archive them at catch.me or somewhere else. You can you can archive them elsewhere or save them. But I save mine at catch.me. So the link is in the show notes and you can see my former video, my older videos there. So I've done two videos so far and you can go check them out. And hopefully by the time this airs, actually no, by the time this airs, which will hopefully be tomorrow, um, it won't. there won't be another video because I don't have plans to make one this weekend. But um, sometime <laughs> if you listen to this after this weekend hopefully there'll be more videos there so check it out and uh follow me and um and go go learn about periscope and comment on this video and leave if you are on periscope and you would uh would like us to follow you put your um periscope handle in the comment and we should all follow each other because all the i think all of the homeschoolers should all link up and all follow each other i think that would be really cool so cool. yes very cool so that's my um not so short <laughs> catch up i meant it to be short but i just can never stop talking ah! <laughs> i'm a talker i apologize but that's just who i am so love me or leave me i guess <laughs> so becky what have you guys been up to well first uh you forgot something in your catch-up i did what i leave off how was your birthday oh my birthday i did i didn't put that in there my birthday was nice it was fun I did a I did a scope on my birthday. <laughs> that I know. Was I watched it. Yeah. Oh, you did. Did you watch it I live did. or you just watched it later? I watched it later because um, I didn't see your notification of it until oh, that's you right. were I forgot doing it, and then that's I was right. in the middle because I didn't really lesson. plan. I didn't really plan it out. I didn't really want. I didn't really want a big audience, but then I but then I was kind of sad um, because I really I wanted bigger than what I had. <laughs> like three people in there and I was yeah. like okay maybe I should have planned ahead because I would have liked five or six <laughs> you know I think I had like two or three people for most of it but that's okay next time I'll be happy if I get like five or six but I'll be ecstatic if I get like 10 in there someday <laughs> yeah, yeah like woo, <laughs> 10 people watching but yeah that was my that was my second scope ever my birthday was fun I had a fun time well, it wasn't good. like super exciting it's you know birthdays after like what 21 are not all that exciting anymore so <laughs> <laughs> I plan to do something exciting next year because I'm a, I like to do something exciting on the zero and fives oh right well this was my five I'm 45 now Ooh, I'm old <laughs> <laughs> so at least for the moment I'm two years younger than you yeah right <laughs> until what we have two weeks no one... no Saturday this That's this fine. coming not today but That's next Saturday exactly what day your birthday is okay so one week. 21st so you're a week and a half. Yeah. A year. No, a week and a half short of a year. Younger than me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're like the 11th, right? I'm the 11th, yes. Yeah, so 10 days. Uh, we go to 10 days between 10 days short of a year. Yeah, 10 days short of a year. Right. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm 10, day, so 10 I'm days. A year and 10 days more. Over a year. Yes, I yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't work. I'm a year and 10 days younger than than yeah. you yeah so i happy birthday thank you and happy birthday early but i will talk to you on your birthday so <laughs> well because it's not like we don't talk every day all yeah, right <laughs> so um other than than tina's birthday um <laughs> let's see uh, back at the beginning of october i took the kids on a really fun trip up to see my mom Mom. Um, she lives up in the Bay Area, which is about four hours away from here via Amtrak. Mm -hmm. We had a blast on the Amtrak. Amtrak has Wi-Fi now. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So um, we got one of those great tables where we could all sit together and oh, yeah. um, we hung out and 
watched videos and the kids played on their various equipment and whatever. And, and um, the four hours passed very quickly. It's a lot different than when I used to take Michael when he was little and, and there was nothing to occupy him and he just wanted to watch. run up and down the aisle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As you say, just watch the trees go by or buildings go yeah, by. <laughs> for four hours, that's, uh, that's a long not trip. a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we had a really good time. I uh, had a really good visit with my family. I hadn't been home in a while, so it was nice. And I got to go see Duran Duran in concert. Right. The 80s girl that still lives in me was um, ecstatic. It was funny. <laughs> I've been walking around at the concert um because I, I went to like go get a t-shirt and then I went to go get a beer and whatever and I was looking at people and I I couldn't figure out why they didn't all have stupid grins on their faces like <laughs> I did I'm like you were here to see Duran Duran act like it you know? yeah right <laughs> but I, I had a, so much fun I met I met a bunch of really neat people um people who are just like me who are like yeah man I was really into Duran Duran 30 years ago I'm still really into Duran Duran and <laughs> You know, and super excited that they had a new album out and everything. I mean, I know it seems silly, but 30 years of, of uh, devotion to a band is, yeah. is, that's, you know, nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, really. I don't even know what that really means. That's a weird I saying. Know. It is a weird saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do people really shake sticks at things? <laughs> no, I think it's, maybe they shake sticks. Get off my lawn. <laughs> my it keeps falling off the edge of the bed and pulling the headset. So I'm going to fix that really quick. Okay, there. <laughs> um, so I discovered this really exciting thing called Hour of Code. Have you yeah, heard of this? No, I have not. I was wondering. So about this that. is a thing. I heard about it from geekmom.com. And it is um, a partnership between code.org, which is a website that teaches coding, and uh, this year, and Disney. So Disney, it, it does have um, Disney branding on it so if you're an anti-disney person you might not enjoy this but oh, yeah. this year the last part of the theme was frozen which oh, probably why I linked it out last year <laughs> but this year it is star wars oh well that's cool we have the force awakens yeah. and um it takes place that the hour of code takes place between december 7th and december 13th and um what it is is a game that you uh, that the children program first they start out using pre-designated uh, blocks of uh, JavaScript so they can't edit it, and they guide BB-8 the little robot mm -hmm. um, through missions um, using these blocks, and then when they get good with the blocks, they teach them how to actually type out the code in JavaScript to make BB-8 move through missions to pick up junk metal mm -hmm. and then once they've figured that out and they're they're able to easily move bb-8 around obstacles and avoiding bad guys and everything then they work with princess leia to build their own game huh. in javascript cool now um there are two different versions available the first one um is la is a like pc or I assume Macs run JavaScript too. Everything runs JavaScript. Um, that's really computer based. And then there's another one that hasn't been released yet, but will be before December 7th. They can program for a tablet or an iPhone. So they're actually going to learn how to program for iOS. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's free. There are two ways to participate. The first way, which is the way I did it, is I signed our school up as a um, Hour of Code official 
thing. So if you go and look on the map, Gist Academy for Gifted Youngsters will show up as one of the official schools that are doing <laughs> And if you don't have, you know, if you don't want to do that, you can look on their website and find another school that's doing it or maybe another homeschooler that's doing it. And you can hook up with them to do it all together. And it just seems really awesome. Danielle has been playing on the website since I discovered it. There's lots of um, different programs on there to learn. Uh, One that I was trying to do, which I failed miserably at, is their artist area. Um, and you have to move this little guy around by doing making specific angles and things like, you know, make him go forward 100 pixels at a 40 degree angle. And I like I could not figure mm-hmm. out, you know, does he go right? Does he go left? I don't know. <laughs> I eventually got frustrated with it. But Danny's been playing with it and she's been really enjoying it. And um, at the website, it's code.org forward slash learn i will put the um, link in the show notes of course if you scroll all the way down to the bottom you can make your own flappy bird game oh yeah (laughs) yes and it reminds me do you remember the game flappy bird okay so flappy bird was this game it's not on uh the uh, itunes store anymore i don't remember there was some controversy about it being stolen or something i don't know and um you have a little bird and you have to hit the button to keep the bird in the air and fly through these pipes like so you can't go too high and you can't go too low or your little guy will mush and it completely reminds me of okay now i'm going to really date myself so all of you guys get ready to laugh (laughs) it reminds me of being in elementary school i had to have been in third or fourth grade and our school had trs 80s oh i remember trash 80s yeah yes the old black and green screens Mm -hmm. and we had this game on there and it was called the (laughs) roadrunner and once you finished your work on if we had a computer lab and that was a specific class that we went to was computer lab so when you finished the whatever work was that you were doing in the computer lab i'm making air quotes like you can see that air <laughs> quotes around the word you know it was just us messing around on computers basically uh, we were allowed to play this roadrunner game and i figured out how to open the code for the roadrunner game and i made and so the roadrunner <laughs> would go up the screen it was an endless scrolling and he had these different obstacles you had to move him through i figured out how to make the road as wide as the screen so my little roadrunner never ran into anything, and I always got a high score. And I actually ended up getting sent to the principal's office for that and getting oh, in trouble for that. Oh, I guess in fourth grade, you're not allowed to crack codes on TSR-80s oh, to make games easier to play. Oh, jeez. But that's completely what this whole make your own Flappy Bird game thing reminds me of. Like, oh. that's exactly what I would do. I would go in and make all the pipes super big, and then you don't have to worry about it. You just go. Oh, funny. I know that was a very long story. But to tell you that, you know, as somebody who started learning code at a very young age, it's really been helpful a lot in my life. And I think that learning code is an important thing for kids going forward. Yeah. Because, you know, everything is so technology-based, mm-hmm. everything. Our whole lives. I think Tierna loved this. He's he's really enjoying the Lego robotics class that they're taking right now. Yes, yes. Okay, so that is Hour of Code. So check it out. I've got a couple of links uh, for you guys in the show notes, and hopefully you guys will get as into it as I am. And if you guys do something, share it with us, because once your kids make a game, they can share it. So share it with us. I'd love to see what your guys' kids are doing as well. Um, so we are working on ancient Egypt right now with history odyssey. Mm-hmm. We have literally been working on ancient Egypt for a month now. 
having a blast. Oh, we're, yeah. Uh, we're reading all these great Egyptian myths. We're doing the history pockets. Do you uh-huh. know history pockets? Yeah. We're doing the Egyptian history pockets. Even Jack, who Jack, who hates coloring anything, has been coloring stuff. He made a great uh, sarcophagus. And, like, it's been fantastic. And um, every day when we sit down to do schoolwork now, the kids are all, we can do history today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I love that they're super interested in it. I'm kind of worried about when we move away from ancient Egypt. Yeah, right. Gonna, you know, Egypt that a, drive we have to do I think history. we spent like two years on ancient Egypt at one point. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just amazing. We watched a great um, BBC series on how the, uh, on a, one of the theories on how the pyramids could have been built. And, and um, it like followed the story of this guy who left his village to go and work on the pyramids. Because it, in this particular one, at least, they said that the pyramids weren't built by slaves. They were built by Aliens. Egyptian people. <laughs> and and it wasn't built to store grain. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it was built by Egyptian men who were, you know, who kind of volunteered. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We I mean, they were conscript, conscripted by. Right, because I mean, they didn't and have then, work. Like their farms were not; they couldn't work on their farms at the time, so they were going to go work. Yeah, and them. while they were there, yeah, they got fed, and they got mm-hmm. all of their needs were taken care of, and everything, right. and all they had to do was work on the pyramid and and um it was kind of interesting i should find a link to that and put it in the show notes the only problem is it's it's on youtube and so it's broken up into like 20 minute pieces so you have to like keep clicking but right. super super interesting i will find the link to that for you guys and put it in the show notes as well as for the history pockets mm-hmm. um but yeah ancient egypt is a big thing going around my house right now yeah i am still hunting for the right math curriculum for danny we are, I, I'm, I'm just thinking that, um, well, I, I know for a fact there's really no interesting way to teach factoring polynomials, which mm-hmm. is kind of where we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I want a book that, you know, is not going to confuse her more. Mm-hmm. And so we're currently trying Carnegie Learning. Um, it's going okay. We've been working with Algebra Tiles, which is a new thing. I was introduced to uh, by a friend of my mother's, um, which is a way more visual way of working with algebra. And um, I'll, I should share a link to that, too, because it's really super interesting. Um, if you haven't heard of algebra tiles, it's kind of like the base 10 blocks, mm-hmm. except you can actually use it to build polynomials and and uh, different um, equations and things using uh, variables, which is amazing to me. Like, I, it would never even occur to me to be able to do this visually like with blocks but you can so um i don't know we're gonna keep trying with carnegie see if that works um and if not i don't know what we're gonna do (laughs) (laughs) i will find something somehow we will get through eighth grade math because we have to So the other thing I wanted to mention is some of you may remember that we that Tina posted on the Facebook group um, that my both of my vehicles were totaled, well not totaled, but one of my vehicles was totaled and the other one was severely damaged back in September, and um, we set up a GoFundMe account and people were wonderful and generous and really um, opened their hearts and their wallets and helped us out. And we were able to get the one car that was salvageable fixed. Um, and sadly, the little green homeschool van has gone on to its final resting place <laughs> at uh, Pick and Pull in Fresno. Um, hopefully, the parts of which will go on to uh, keep other MPVs on the road. Um, but my Toyota is now fixed and drivable 
and I am super happy and super pleased. So thank you to everyone who shared, who helped, who said, oh, wow, that really sucks. And, <laughs> um, and to everyone who donated, I super appreciate it. And um, thank you. And now we'd like to give some time to our sponsors. This episode of the Savvy Homeschool Moms is brought to you by Moving Beyond the Page, the homeschool curriculum that I use for science, social studies, and language arts. I get to read great books, do creative projects and activities, and learn critical thinking skills. Learn more at www.movingbeyondthepage.com and use the coupon code SAVVYMOMS for free shipping on your next order. And by Math Mammoth. The math curriculum all the Savvy Homeschool kids are using. Math Mammoth offers affordable, high-quality, mastery-based work texts and workbooks for grades 1 through 7. Our moms love that it fosters independent learning since the work texts are nearly self-teaching, requiring very little teacher preparation. Check out free samples and placement tests and learn more at mathmammoth.com. Click buy at Coggy and enter the code SAVVYMOMS to save 25% off your order. This episode also sponsored by Pandia Press, publishers of comprehensive science and history curriculum. We love the hands-on labs incorporated into Real Science Odyssey and the fun projects that we do with History Odyssey. Pandia Press offers a fantastic try before you buy on their website so you can see how the program works for yourself. Visit pandiapress.com for more information. So here we have the first part of our interview with Julie Bogart of Brave Writer. Today we are joined by Julie Bogart, homeschool mom of five and creator and owner of Brave Writer, the online writing and language arts program. Julie has worked as a ghostwriter, magazine editor, freelance writer and editor, as well as professional speaker and has used her experience to create a company that is well known in the homeschool community for its mission to empower parents to be effective writing coaches and allies to their kids while enhancing the parent-child relationship. Welcome, Julie. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to have you here. We have been looking forward to this for a long time. I keep saying, we got to get Julie on the show. <laughs> well, it's great to be able to be a part of your community. I'm really excited to talk to both of you and to share with your group. Yes, I have been a big fan of Brave Rider for a while. I finally bought some of your products and we've only just started dipping our toes in. We've got to find more time. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, love, love, love your stuff and I uh, have been a big, big fan of your Periscopes and your podcasts and uh, just you for a while. So <laughs> Aww, thank you. And I love how available you are on Facebook. You have been a great help to me just through Facebook messages. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. You know, I've, I've had that as a philosophy. One of the things that um, I like to share with parents who call me, I remember when I was homeschooling my kids, I have five kids who are now 19 to 28. But back when they were young, and I was just like all of the rest of you homeschooling my kids, I remember having a fourth grader working with a Saxon math, math book. And uh -huh. I got to some lesson that was inscrutable to me. I, I didn't know how to implement. I didn't understand what I was looking at. And all I could think was, I need to talk to Mr. Saxon. Yeah. <laughs> that was all I could think was, where's the phone number? I am not, you know, a trained educator. I need someone to help me understand what I'm doing here. And so when I started Brave Writer, I wanted to make myself as available as possible. 
And of course, Brave Rider is growing a lot right now. So that's becoming a more challenging, uh, you know, proposition than it used to be. But I always answer the phone, which shocks people. I answer <laughs> their emails and I always post to Facebook and on the blog and in other places, hoping that I can sort of catch the questions as they come in. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing more frustrating than being excited about a program and then hitting a snag with your kids and not knowing what steps to take next. So between me and my team, now we're pretty good. I mean, we're really good at answering the phone, answering questions, trying to make it possible for people to get back on their writing way and not get bogged down. So thanks for yes. noticing that. It makes me oh, happy. Yeah. Well, I can vouch for the fact that you're definitely available. <laughs> you have answered many of my questions via Facebook, so I appreciate that a lot. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, you've answered a little bit about your family. Is there anything else you wanted to share about yourself and your family that we didn't cover yet? <laughs> oh, well, sure. So I have five children, and we started homeschooling from the beginning. So my kids didn't go to school, you know, kindergarten, preschool, nothing like that. I had been introduced to homeschooling before I was even married. <laughs> uh -huh. I had a friend of my, um, my kid's dad sat me down and told me all about homeschool and asked me if I was going to do it. I wasn't even engaged yet. Uh -huh. and I, yeah, it, you know, this is back in the 80s. I didn't know what it was. When he said the word homeschool, I had never heard of it. <laughs> and so, he, yeah, I mean, that's how it used to be. It's certainly not that way anymore. And so he explained it to me. He basically said, you know, well, you get to be with your kids and teach them what you want and blah, blah, blah. And it just sounded interesting. I didn't really commit anything to it at the time, but I, I was sort of, my mind was open to it. And once I had my children and was raising them, and of course, I was in the stream of people who were into things like natural parenting, you know, breastfeeding. Uh -huh. I had five yeah. home births. I was ah. very much one of those parents. And right. so when I started reading about homeschooling, it just seemed such a natural continuation of Absolutely. what I was already doing mm -hmm. that I wanted to do it. Not only that, but my best friend at the time who lived in the same condo complex that we were in, she was already homeschooling. And so the two of us just sort of formed a little team and it became literally some of the most magical years of my life, those early five years with her. It laid an incredible foundation. So much of what I teach today comes out of those early five years with my kids. So part of the reason that I love homeschool is that in those years before the internet, before it was popular all over the country, I was in this cocoon of people who saw it as a lifestyle, not the big curriculum hunt, not the convention, you know, hopping. It was all about developing these nurturing, celebratory relationships with our kids, with learning, and with each other. Mm -hmm. And it was magical, to be honest. Yeah. I really loved it. So that's kind of the origin of my homeschooling. My kids did at um, some point, all of them have experienced public high school. One hated it and uh -huh. so quit. <laughs> you know, he, he did a couple classes and didn't like it and quit. Um, I had one who did part-time enrollment. And then we had um, one who did all four years. And then the other two did a couple of years. So each one did high school differently. And I'm very grateful for the mixture of experiences. Um, we used co-ops, we used tutors, and we used part-time enrollment and even full-time enrollment with public school in high school. And I'm an advocate of all different kinds of education. I don't vilify any kind of education. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about parents and children finding what's right for them.
Awesome. Well, you you already answered the question of uh, why did you decide to homeschool? Sounds a lot like me. I actually learned about homeschooling before I even conceived my first child, too. (laughs) Isn't that cool? It is. It's very cool. I already knew long before I even conceived. I was like, yeah, we are so going to do this. (laughs) See, and I learned about it while I was pregnant. And but if I, I'm um, noticing how similar a lot of our stories are, where yeah. Tina and I both were AP parents, we did yep. all of the AP thing, and homeschool just seemed like a natural extension of that. Which, which exactly. for those that are listening that don't know what AP is, that's attachment parenting, natural parenting, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's how Tina and I met. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's really wonderful. I love it. That's yes. Great. <laughs> So we like to take a peek into the homeschool lives of our guests. And I know you're no longer homeschooling because your youngest is now graduated, correct? Yeah, she my youngest 19, is a right? sophomore, yeah. right. Yeah, right. sophomore in college, right. Right, right. So, but can you tell us what a typical day used to look like back in the day? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, well, you know, one of the funny things about, you know, quote unquote, typical days, I always like to say that in homeschooling, you reinvent it every year. Uh, you do, absolutely. In other words, there's, yeah, there's no like typical, typical. year. Right. Because... <laughs> Because everybody keeps changing ages on you, and uh-huh. your oldest child is always introducing you to a new stage of development that you've never experienced. Um, yes. And then on top of it, as a parent, you get bored. Like, uh-huh. even if something worked really well for you, you might be like, yeah, but I just can't face using that reading a pro- reading program again. Like, I've got five kids. I don't want to use the same program five times. So when I think about typical the parts that were consistent in our family, that's what I want to tell you about. Yeah, because yeah. these are kind of the core practices that we always found a way to do, even if they weren't necessarily, um, you know, uh, done every single day. So, for example, we always had read aloud time mm. going in yeah. our family. Uh, we usually would wake up whenever we woke up because I wasn't into alarm clocks. Yeah. And then we would, you know, <laughs> we'd eat breakfast. And maybe they would just be doing their own little activities in the morning. I'm all about kids starting the day on a happy note, not breakfast straight to school. So if they're playing with a game or they have a puzzle from the night before, they're working on Legos, I think it's kind of nice to let them transition out of breakfast (laughs) into something they enjoy. And then Mm -hmm. I would go on my computer, maybe check email, do something like that. And then we would sort of rally and I would say, okay, time for read aloud time. And that brought us all together. I usually sat in a rocking chair because I have a great one. Mm -hmm. And uh, read aloud time took anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour. We usually read multiple things. So I'd read like an Aesop's fable. Um, I'd read from a history book, like a, you know, nonfiction kind of account. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We would read something that was fiction. Usually uh, historical fiction was popular with us. But we also read children's literature. And then I might read, you know, some poetry. And so our little morning was encapsulated by a series of readings, and that would get us all sort of together. Um, Another practice that was popular with us was copywork and dictation. Those are both things I teach in Brave Writer. Mm -hmm. And that's the practice of using living literature to teach literary style, grammar, spelling, punctuation, handwriting, just immersing yourself in that text, using your own hand to record it and to Mm -hmm. learn and practice the mechanics of writing. And our family really enjoyed that. Now, I know some kids have some resistance to it. I know my son, Liam, who was dysgraphic, that wasn't a practice that he did as much as the other kids in the early years. But for kids who are amenable to it, 
it can be a really soothing practice. And one of the things that we did is I also kept a copywork book. So instead of it just being me doing education to the kids, it was me participating in education with the kids. Um, And so I would just pull out whatever books I was reading and I would pick quotes that I wanted to keep and reread and use as guideposts for my own growth and development. And uh, we would light a candle, you know, put that on the table and Mm kind of make it a cozy, special time instead of it being like work to get through. Right. Mm -hmm. So, So we did that. We usually did some kind of math every day, too. There was always some kind of math program we were working through. Um, And then like on a weekly basis, um, and I have all of this kind of stuff on my website, we used to have what we call poetry tea time, where we would yes. set the table beautifully. <laughs> and I was tea. hoping you'd talk about that. <laughs> yeah, do you guys practice it? Do you, have you? No, tried but I your... remember hearing about you talk about it, and I, I've been really wanting to try it. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I hope you will. So on the Brave Writer website, you can go to the blog, and look up Poetry Tea Times to see all the families that have sent us photos and little stories. Or you can go to the Brave Writer Lifestyle page, um, and there's a whole section that tells you how to conduct a Poetry Tea Time. But basically, we call this the gateway br- drug to Brave Writer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very easy practice. First of all, it's free. You don't buy any products from us. What it is is this. I discovered early on in those five, you know, early magical years of homeschooling for us that if you pair something you care about with something enjoyable for your children, you will create an automatic pleasure association with that thing. Mm -hmm. So for so many families and so many adults, poetry is very intimidating. They remember it from school. They think it's going to be hard and filled with all of these, you know, special cases, analysis and symbolism. And, but poetry isn't that. Every single day of the year, we are singing poems yes. to music. We are engaged in riddles and puns and imagery that are natural in our knock-knock jokes and cliches. And so poetry needs to be seen as more accessible. And one way to do that is to start with children's poetry. Um, and so we recommend once a week, you know, set up the table, make it kind of pretty. You don't have to overdo it. I don't want to add another burden to an yeah. already homeschooler's <laughs> life, right? right? But you can still, you know, pull out a teacup or a set of cute mugs or whatever you have. You can make, you know, lady fingers of um, cinnamon toast or a box of Oreo cookies, or you yeah. can go ahead and make muffins. And set the table and then distribute poetry books to everyone. We like to do tea because I'm a huge British tea fan. Oh, yeah, but some families tea. make lemonade or they'll have orange juice, whatever is a treat for your mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And then you just sip, eat, and read. And that is it. There's mm-hmm. no analysis. It's just pure enjoyment. <laughs> ah. And what happens is over time, your kids start to develop an appetite for quality language and they sort of imbibe symbols and they understand the the beauty of words and they start using language tools and tricks from poetry in their writing just the same way they know how to craft an advertisement because they've heard so many and they're so able to imitate that form if you read poetry you're actually giving your kids like the booster shot for great writing. 
they're mm-hmm. getting like this deep dose of intentional language that is crafted specifically for effect. And they will start to bring those sensibilities to their original writing. So that's one of the reasons it's so valuable. That's wonderful. Yeah. So that was a practice we did weekly. So that was, you know, so copy work and dictation, literature, poetry, tea times. These are, of course, in my wheelhouse. That's my world, right? Every family has a specific sort of bent. Like I remember one family that was with Grave Rider early on. Both parents were in the sciences. And they had a daughter who crossbred fish in the creek in their backyard. <laughs> they had another daughter who built, um, you know, low-tech domiciles for homeless people in her backyard, yeah. like learning yeah. how to do it. Eventually, as an adult, she went on staff with Habitat for Humanity. She had been using, like, Mother Jones articles to teach her how to build these domiciles. So like every family's different. They were very sciencey and natural and that was what they were good at. I know families who are really great with, you know, math and computer programming and they sort of pass along those skills. Whatever enriches the parents. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like we sometimes take for granted our gifts and talents, but whatever you're good at, really major on it. Because Mm. you get to pass that on to your kids and that will feel natural and pleasurable and set the tone for what it looks like to be happy while learning, (laughs) not cranky and struggling all the time. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. I love it. So let's talk about Brave Writer now. Um, How did you come to create Brave Writer? Oh, thanks. That's a great question. So back when I was younger, uh, before I owned Brave Writer, started Brave Writer, I worked freelance as a ghostwriter, a copy editor, a magazine editor. I was on the editorial board of a couple of publications and then was the senior editor for a quarterly industry publication. And so I was working in the field of writing. My mother is a professional author. She's written 85 books. She's taught writing for 50 years. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's the real deal. And so I grew up in a household of professional writing. That was (laughs) her view about writing. And I always call her my original and best writing instructor because the way she sort of coached me while I was in school was so similar to really what I do now um, with Brave Writer families. And so when I got to the point where I was homeschooling my kids, I didn't really buy curriculum. I didn't know, I didn't think I needed to do that. I literally just pulled books off my bookcases that I had used in my professional life and books that my mom had given me related to writing as a professional uh, in the field. And one day, one of my homeschooling friends who knew that I was doing this kind of work said, could you teach me how to teach my kids to write? And I said, well, Glenda, don't you already own curriculum? And she said, yeah, but I don't know why. My kids cry whenever I teach them. Oh, oh Yeah, and she's like, I'm wondering if, you know, you have some other strategy. I mean, you actually are a writer. And Mm -hmm. so I said, well, bring me this program. I want to see it. Because I literally had never held a writing program that was for kids in school or kids in homeschool. So she brought it to me. It was in this big, thick blue binder. And I opened it up. And I read the sample paragraph. And then I looked at her and I said, have you read this paragraph? And she said, yes. And I said, did you like reading it? And she said, what do you mean? I said, was it a good paragraph? Do you wish there was a second paragraph? She goes, well, no. 
said, yeah, me neither. I think it's boring. Do you think it's boring? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, then let's put this away. Why would you want the model paragraph to be boring if yeah. you're going to teach your kids to write? She goes, but isn't it correct? And I said to her, who cares if it's correct? No one wants to read it. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> and it just was like a moment. And so then she said, well, then I really don't know where to start. Can you, you know, run some kind of a class? So we set up a seven-week class. And at the time, I was a churchgoer. And so we actually just used a room in this church that we were a part of. And all kinds of people came, parents who were homeschooling, educators who were teaching in the school district, literally had like 50 people in this class. And it had nothing to do with what we were doing in church. It was me teaching them how to teach their kids writing. And the very first week, I was really convinced that I was going to be repeating information everyone already knew because the information was so familiar to me. So I stood up there and I started teaching about things like free writing and topic funneling and just very core ideas that we use in Brave Writer all the time. And at the end of the first session, I was swamped with people saying they had never heard what I was talking about before, that it was mm. all brand new. Wow. And so that was in like 1997, I think. The internet was still very new. You know, most companies didn't even have websites yet. But the homeschoolers were online because we were all so desperate for each other. <laughs> yeah. And um, we were like doing, you know, email lists and these very rudimentary bulletin boards. And so I started posting answers to language arts and writing questions on these boards and started gaining kind of a following. And by 1999, it started to dawn on me that I might have a contribution to make to this yeah. world of homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got invited while I was still living in California from 97 to 99. I started getting invited to speak, which was really weird for me. I, I just, you know, my major was history. I didn't anticipate that I would be teaching people how to teach writing. Um, and so anyway, I moved to Ohio and I wrote The Writer's Jungle and I got all of these moms who I had met online to be what we called the guinea pigs. And they <laughs> actually read a chapter and did the activities in it and gave me feedback. And in exchange, I coached them in how to teach their kids to write. We did that for like six months. Mm -hmm. Then I wrote the book and then realized that I could do online classes. Now, you have to understand, this is really funny. This is January of 2000 is when I launched what was then called the Writing Compass, but became Brave Writer. And um, I decided, you know, that guinea pig thing worked really well. I wonder if I could do an online class. I didn't have a website. <laughs> we didn't have any kind of platform to support teaching classes. So we did an email list. <laughs> <laughs> I, yep. I charged $25 a person for eight weeks. And um, yeah, and it was phenomenal. It went so well, I actually found my first Brave Writer teacher in that class, and she worked with me for five years. Uh, and by the summer, I had spoken at the um, statewide homeschool convention in Ohio, and I brought the Writer's Jungle with me, and we sold out. And I spoke wow. three times, and during my first talk, I, it was called The Writing Compass at the time, but I hated that title. I just oh, couldn't no. find another one. And we had just bought the URL and put it all over our books. Oh, no. And, yeah. And while I was speaking, 
you know, in a passionate moment, I said, we want free writers, we want brave writers. And I just in my mind went, oh, no, that's the name of my company. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so that's how it. it started. I came home and we bought the URL and we had to create a redirect and we changed the whole website and we never looked back. So that's how it started. Yeah. That is wow. so awesome. That yeah. is an awesome story. The, the one thing I want to add, which I think is helpful, um, might be helpful, might not matter at all, but it matters <laughs> to me. So we started Brave Writer, but I was around a lot of homeschool businesses and a lot of um, homeschoolers who were traveling to conventions with their whole families to promote whatever product they had created. And I made this decision really early on that I didn't want to do that. So Brave Rider grew very slowly because I was really interested in homeschooling. I wanted to be with my kids. Mm. So I did not do the homeschool convention circuit. I turned down, actually, some key opportunities to speak just because someone had a soccer game or my kid was going to be in a Shakespeare play. Mm -hmm. Um, And unlike a lot of families from my generation that were really about home everything, I didn't want my kids participating in the home business either. (laughs) So they never shipped a single book. They never kept a single record. I felt like it was my thing on the side and they were my priority. Um, And I don't regret that decision. But it's also why a lot of people didn't know about Brave Writer because we waited. You know, I waited to really like get on board with a lot of advertising. I let it grow completely by word of mouth. And a lot of the homeschool companies that are huge are actually run by dads. They're not run by the moms. Um, And so for me, one of the things I feel happy about, and I just share this with all of you who are bloggers and trying to make money while you're homeschooling, um, it counts to put your kids first, and you'll be glad you did it. You will be glad. And you can still earn money at the same time. But you'll have so much to share if you stay truly invested in the home education project. And then when they're gone, what's really great is you'll have this nice foundation to work from, something <laughs> that's yours that you can build from. So that, that's something I don't get to talk about very often, but I just wanted to mention it because it's, I think it's really, for me anyway, it was a really good decision. It's one I don't regret. Right. Cool. Yeah. So can you tell us how Brave Writer is different from other homeschool writing and language arts curricula? Yes. Yes. In fact, it is different. One of the things that I realized when I was working on the initial first draft, the very, 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 very first draft, I found myself starting to write things like how to write a paragraph, how to punctuate. And I can still even remember where I was when I changed directions. I stopped and I went, I don't want to write this. (laughs) People talk in paragraphs. You can look up how to write a paragraph in so many places. And most of the instructions end up with these horrible, tedious, overly structured paragraphs that no one wants to read. And I thought, what do I want to read? Well, I want to read surprising writing. I want to read writing that reflects the quirky insight and personality of the original writer. And what parents are not having success with is drawing that out of their children. They're busy pushing them toward these formats, and the kids are not having the experience of a valuable contribution that they want to make into the world 
through their own original thoughts and ideas. And so how was I going to help parents develop the kind of relationship that fosters that? And that's what caused me to create the Writer's Jungle and our basic class, Kids Write Basic. So here's the difference. Most educator-generated writing programs are not by writers, and they're also often even not by homeschoolers. They are by people who are looking at a finished product of writing, like they might look at a descriptive paragraph, and then they analyze it correctly. They deconstruct what are the properties that make this paragraph work. Oh, it's got adverbs. Oh, it starts with a clear topic. Oh, there are three supports, right? And these are the kinds of things they analyze it for. Mm -hmm. Then they say, well, to help children make sure they get this kind of end result, we're going to give them all these clues about how to structure a paragraph. We're going to tell them, use a topic sentence, three supports, two dress-ups, one sentence that has a clause at the front end. And they feel like they're giving them almost like a path. And Mm -hmm. if the child has the path, it'll be easier for them to write. So the thinking goes. Mm -hmm. What happens is, and what I call this, They are giving a child a puzzle to solve. The child's brain goes into what I call puzzle-solving mode. What is the topic? Oh, it's this one. I'll put it in this slot. Oh, we need three supports. I'll grab these and put them in these slots. That's kind of the thinking about that style of instruction. Mm -hmm. But the crazy thing is this. The person who wrote the paragraph that's being deconstructed, that's not the process they went through to get that paragraph written. Yeah, they didn't. No editor said to a book writer, make sure you have a topic sentence here. Make sure (laughs) that's not how it happens. Right. When people are writing their topic, their pieces, they start with a big mess. So here's what professionals do when they're coaching people to write something for hire. They don't say, here's the writing I want. They say, who are you? What do you have to say? We are brave writer, not brave writing, because we're about people. We're not about formats. So when we look at our children, we're saying, hey, what lives inside you? What are the thoughts filling your mind? What is it you're interested in conveying to an audience? Let's get that out, hand over hand, pulling it out of you in any way we can. Let's make a mess on paper. Let's scramble around the words. Let's reorder them and slowly, something will emerge and then we can hone it and craft it and edit it and revise it. But initially we want your authentic voice, your authentic thoughts in any form you can get them out. Right. Then we bring the format to the original writing, not the other way around. So that's how Brave Writer is fundamentally different. We, uh, I like to say this in conferences, educators treat writing the way a biology sees a biology teacher sees a frog as something to dissect in a classroom but writers see writing the way a child sees a frog as something jumpy and mysterious to play and awesome. so that's how we see it yeah i love that thank you that's fantastic <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad that's clear. I, I, you know, it's like one of those long-winded, you know, I don't have my hands to act it out. I'm over here on my couch <laughs> acting it out. You're not here to see me. <laughs> no, you give me goosebumps. Oh, wow. 
that's wonderful. Yeah, that was that was an amazing analogy. I, I love it so much. Um, so is there a specific educational philosophy that Brave Writer materials follow? Well, actually there is, but it's one that most of you won't know. So it's not from a home educator. Um, the, the man that I call my guru is <laughs> named Dr. Peter Elbow, and he wrote a seminal work called Writing with Power, which is probably the most significant work in my writing. In fact, I contacted him after I wrote The Writer's Jungle and sent him a copy because I admire him so much. He is a professor emeritus from Amherst in uh, University of Massachusetts, and I sent him this back in like the year 2000, and he wrote me back. And he wow. was really happy that I had brought his free writing ideas into the homeschool market because he said that's a community he would never be able to reach. Um, a few years later, he came to Ohio to speak at the um, University of Ohio in Miami in Oxford. And his secretary invited me to come. I got to meet him, sit next to him at dinner, talk to him about Brave Writer. We just had this incredible connection. So for me, that was like meeting Bono. It was all <laughs> that level. Like I, I wanted to sign everything I own. Yeah. So if you look him up, he has some amazing books. One is called Writing with Power. Another one that might be interesting to this audience is called Writing Without Teachers. And he huh? is basically critiquing the educational model of writing in all of his works. And he is offering something in its stead. And the reason I found him so compelling, and this will crack you up maybe, <laughs> when I first read his book, I hadn't yet read like professional writer books. I was, you know, in high school, college, just out of college. I was writing articles for like the Wet Set Gazette, you know, La Leche League magazine, stuff like that. And, um, and all of a sudden, my mom was like, I, I told her I wanted to break into published writing more. So she said, we'll start with writing with power. So I start reading this book. And this is what my margin notes say. Oh, my gosh, I didn't know anyone else wrote like this. Oh my gosh, he agrees with me. Oh my gosh, this has a name. Because my writing process was being described by him. And, and what I've discovered is this. Intuitive writers, and I know many in your audience will be this, and this may be true of the two of you even. You don't observe your own process. You're only in it. Right. And so when you go to educate your children in writing, it's so invisible to you. You don't know how to help them get that perspective, right? To understand how to embody what you do naturally. Oh, yeah. right. what, what Peter Elbow did for me and what I hope I'm doing for mothers everywhere and fathers too is helping you understand not only what you do, but then how to coax that from your kids. And the homeschool dynamic is a little bit different because it's parents with children. It's not teachers with students. And yet we're also teachers with students. So I bring those sensibilities together, my professional writing, what Dr. Elbow as one of those people taught me, and then of course my own homeschool experience. And I have other people who've influenced me as well who are professional writers. Um, you know, I love Anne Lamott. I liked William Zinsser. These are also, you know, wonderful people to read. And then in the homeschool camp, the other person who I was so happy to discover because I agree with her so thoroughly is Charlotte Mason. She's yes. Incredible. Love she's, Charlotte Mason. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. I, she is prescient. 
you know what's great about her? Here's what's great about Charlotte. Everyone's always all about, you know, the books that she recommends. They're fine, but they're out of date. Read yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm all about updating Charlotte to the 21st century. Yeah. She's, you know, <laughs> needs a, totally. She needs a makeover. That she needs the bun taken down. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. But here's so here's the thing. Charlotte is um, is great at understanding children. Mm-hmm. She gets who kids are, and that we don't have enough of in the world even today. There is still too much emphasis on the authority of the parent or the responsibility of the parent. And Charlotte, even with all of that as part of her background, is still such a champion of the personhood of our children. Yes. And I think, you know, attachment parents and Malaysia League type parents especially, we recognize that in her. Yep. And we're so grateful that this British language backs us up. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's just a great feeling. Mind boggling that she was never a parent too. Incredible. Yeah. And she gets it. (laughs) She's like Charles Dickens, you know, they both saw the exploitation of children Mm -hmm. and they were able to create a vision that was seeing children differently. And of Mm -hmm. course, the 20th century in America did not champion the rights of children to the Mm -hmm. degree that we do today. Um, And so I do. I think she was really very much a prophetic voice around what it means to see children as capable too. I mean, she she was British. This wasn't like a mamby pamby, you know, give your kids junk food. She wasn't that kind of mm-hmm. of loosey goosey parent at all. She had structure, but it wasn't without respect for that personhood piece. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. So what ages are your programs designed for? I know it's on your website, but it's wonderful to be able to hear you talk about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, we um, start, you know, before reading all the way through high school. So I would say five or six all the way up through 18. We have, um, how about if I talk for a moment about how I understand what writing is? Because this is a common misunderstanding and um, I think it'll help. So typically I'll I'll get a phone call from a parent who will say, you know, I have a nine-year-old and she's a terrible writer. (laughs) This is a very common (laughs) thing. And I really don't know what a person means when they say that, because it can mean one of three things. When she says the child is a terrible writer, she might mean that the child is bad at handwriting. Mm -hmm. She might mean that the child is a terrible speller, punctuator, you know, grammar user. Mm -hmm. She might mean that the child doesn't have any good ideas or writes really short, boring sentences. Right. These are all three different ways that we talk about writing. Handwriting yes. is one way. The mechanics are another way. And then original writing is a third way. Yes. And so I have taken each of those components and pulled them apart for the sake of creating proficient writers. But writing isn't just one of those. And it's certainly not all three together. To me, what writing actually is, is the mind life of the human being. Because the truth of the matter is, we could, God forbid, chop off both hands and gouge out both eyes of your children, and they could still be writers. Yeah. And I use dramatic language because I want parents to really get this. Yeah. The writer lives inside. Spelling doesn't determine the writer. Typing skills don't determine the writer. The ability to craft an essay doesn't determine a writer. 
A -hmm. writer is a person who has a viewpoint, and that person has language to express it. Um, I have a friend who has his PhD, and he's a dyslexic, and he used a secretary to type his paper because his spelling and his mechanics were not strong enough. He has his PhD. I always like to ask parents, who wrote the dissertation? Did he write it or did the secretary? Mm-hmm. Well, we know he wrote it. Yeah, of course. Right. So once we know that, can we please lower the value we place on the mechanics? Yeah. Can we see the mechanics as a shortcut to getting the mind life onto paper? But it is certainly not the only way. And in the early years of the writing life, Children cannot write yet. Right. They are writers from the time they can speak, but they don't have the transcription skills available to them. So what I urge parents to do is to start capturing that language in handwriting or typing for them. Yes. And letting them discover that their writing lives are already living and active inside. And the only point of transcription is so that they're, we, we eliminate the middleman. They can yes. do it for themselves. Once they catch on that what lives inside of them is what the parent is excited about, they think writing is cool. Mm -hmm. Because who doesn't want a parent admiring their mind lives? Every mm. child wants that. That's a big part of Bev Boss. Do you know Bev, Bev Boss? Don't. Tell me more. Bev Boss, um, she's a Sacramento uh, preschool educator, and she goes around with a clipboard and paper and pencil and tells the kids, the preschoolers, tell me your story. And she has them write her stories down. And like as they're drawing pictures, she has them tell her the story of the picture. And she writes their words. And she asks where on the picture. Like she asks permission to write their, their words on the picture. Like can I write it on here or should I write on the back? Like not to, you know, she doesn't want to just write on their, on their picture. She has to get permission first, of course, because it's their picture. But she wants their words of their stories in their words knowing that they can't write yet because they're like three and four and five-year-olds. And she, that's totally. a big part of her preschool program is getting their their words written down for them. It's I a love big that. part. They walk around, all the teachers walk around with clipboards. Tell me your story. That's like a big part of their program in Sacramento. Well, I'm, that's beautiful. And that's I'm actually all about the clipboard. Now, here's where I would take it. We know to do that with three and four-year-olds, but we stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And we can do it with seven-year-olds. We can do it with 16-year-olds. The um, kids who need remediation in writing, like who've become damaged writers because of the programmatic style of instruction, they need that mm -hmm. because they have become so divorced from their own awareness that their writing lives inside. They don't think they have anything worthwhile to say. So what I like to tell parents with all ages of kids, if you have blocked writers or kids who don't yet know that what lives inside matters to you, you need to catch them in the act of thinking. Yeah. So you'll be, you know, stir frying dinner or driving to the dentist. It always comes at the most inconvenient time. So here's a warning. Uh, <laughs> but when you're busy doing something else and your child, you know, <laughs> tracks you down in the shower and has to tell you about the dog chasing the squirrel in the backyard, your job is to simply capture that in writing. It shouldn't be during school hours. It's when they're in what I call the white heat of passion, passionate narrating. You just jot it down. You grab the supermarket receipt, flip it over, get a pen, and start writing. And your kids will typically say, you know, Mom, what are you doing? And what you say back is this. 
this is so good. I want to share this tonight with the other parent, you know, at dinner. And so I'm just jotting it down because I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And most kids at that point sort of square their shoulders and go on twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, in that case, <laughs> there are some kids who may say, you know, stop it. I just want you to pay attention. In which case you stop and then you do the mental recorder. You try to remember as much of what they're saying as close to how they said it as possible so that when they're done, you write it down after they leave. And then that night at dinner, you pull this little narrative out and you say, you know what, Johnny told me this story today and it was so good and I was afraid I'd forget it so I wrote it down and you read it to the family. And then you engage the content. You don't talk about it like it's writing. You say, well, and then what happened? Or, well, how fast did he run? Or did he catch the squirrel? You know, whatever the content provokes. But you start capturing it in writing. You can also take those little narrations and stick them in the library book basket. And when you read the library books, you also pull out what your kids have said that you've written down and you read that again. You Mm -hmm. start valuing their mind life and you get it written down for them. And it doesn't matter what age they are. Six, it works with 16-year-olds. I've oh, seen yeah. it completely turn them around. Yes, because they don't know that you want that. They keep thinking the words live out in the air somewhere. <laughs> and they're like looking for them. And they're looking at you worried they're going to disappoint you by picking the wrong ones. Mm. So the only way to get the original writing voice of our children is to start valuing it orally in speech. Sure. So that's perfect. Exactly what she said. I remember when Liam was four, you know, he had made um, all these little Lego men with superpowers like Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon characters had. And so I just grabbed a clipboard and I said, hey, tell me what each of them do. And I wrote down the names, the superpower, you know, kickflip, whatever, how many points that he was creatively assigning them. And, you know, he carried the clipboard around for a month and he would put (laughs) the little Lego men on top of the correct name for each one. These are pre-reading skills. You Mm -hmm. know, he couldn't read, but he was remembering the sequence. He was remembering which word went with which Lego man. And my son, Liam, the dysgraphic, read younger than any of my kids. And I Mm -hmm. think that's partly why. I think he was already associating language, you know, with the sounds because we were writing his words down, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. Hmm. So so that's the first part. So the mechanics are separate from the original writer. So in Brave Writer, what we do is this then. We use someone else's writing to teach the mechanics. And we protect the space for original writing. Original hmm. writing, we do not critique, especially when kids are first learning. We give them space to make errors. We call it free writing. They get to write Whatever is in their mind, we sometimes set a timer so that the only responsibility they have is to write the whole time while the timer's going. And they do that freely. And we don't care if they misspell, write fragments, leave out punctuation, uh, Mm -hmm. backtrack, repeat themselves, doodle. You know, they can put anything on the page. Mm -hmm. And we don't expect it to be correct. Take the pressure off, yeah. Totally. And Mm -hmm. then when they're working on the mechanics... We have them use living literature, you know, Laura Ingalls Wilder, E.B. White, some passage from a a book that's a quality piece of writing. And here's how it works. And I like to use this analogy for parents. So imagine this. 
let's say you had your child copy a passage out of Little House in the Big Woods. And the passage says, Ma and Pa Ingalls lived in a little house in the Big Woods. And you notice that they did a beautiful job with handwriting, but they misspelled the word house. You <laughs> could go back to that passage and you could say to your child, you know, beautiful job copying. I'm noticing one of the words doesn't match the original. Yeah. Do you think you can find it? So they go back and they compare and they don't see it. So then you go back and you say, well, I'm thinking it might be the word house. Can you find it? They go back, compare. Oh, sure enough. They <laughs> put the U in front of the O. So they erase it, they rewrite it correctly, and now it's finished. There's no drama. Right. They don't typically have hurt feelings. But what if you did this? You ask your child to write about your house on Christmas morning. And so the child writes, I love the way my house smells like cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning, because you only ever have cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning, okay? <laughs> <laughs> And you see it written, and the handwriting looks good, but you see that the word house is misspelled. What happens when you go to that sentence and you say, oh, your handwriting looks beautiful, but I'm noticing that you misspelled one word. Can you find it? What happens to your child? Huh. Yeah, they almost always have their feelings hurt. You know yes. why? They were just giving you a compliment, and you missed it. Right. They just told you that they love their home and they love the effort you put into making cinnamon rolls and they love the memory of Christmas. And all you can see is the flaw in the word they picked and how right. they spelled it. Yep. And this is what parents who are in the education system haven't ever experienced. It's separating those two ideas to protect the relationship between the editor and the writer. The goal is to protect that relationship. So if we work on mechanics using someone else's writing, they are building a fluency with those skills. And as they gain competency, it will bleed into their original writing. You'll start seeing it show up. It's mm -hmm. not to say that there's no point at which you revise and edit original writing, but we have a whole process for that in Brave Writer that starts with valuing the content first and puts a lot of distance between the original free write and the final finished product. In fact, a month. Ah. <laughs> it's not how most parents do it. They do it the same minute, you know, right, they do it the right. same day. We so thoroughly value the content that by the time we get to what we call the mechanics mop-up, they're ready for it. It doesn't feel like invalidation. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, they're building these skills using someone else's writing and copywork and dictation. So the program in Brave Writer separates those two. We have the Writer's Jungle, which really focuses on original writing and the coaching element of parent to child. And then we have language arts tools that take a novel and give you four copywork slash dictation passages a month to teach to, to your kids and use with your children. And then we have a product that combines those two that gives you writing projects where you are going to now write a report or create a lap book or um, do a homonym book. And it takes the mechanic skills and the original writing processes and brings them together to complete a writing product. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. So that's how Brave Writer works. <laughs> Long uh, answer. <laughs> wonderful. So... Julie has been so kind to offer us a discount code for you guys as well. So uh, through the end of November, you can use the discount code SAVVY10 
which is S-A-V-V-Y 10 to get 10% off of, is it all, all of your products? Yeah, everything but classes. So we can give a discount on anything that you buy in our store. Um, Awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's the, uh, the number 10, the one and the zero. Oh, right. Yes. The number, the number 10. Yes. Excellent. We hope you liked the first part of our interview with Julie Bogart of Brave Rider. And next episode, we will bring you the second part. Yay! <laughs> we really enjoyed that interview. That was so, so cool. It was super interesting. She She's a really, um, really interesting person. She really is. I, I already knew how cool she was, but Becky didn't really know much about her I yet. So didn't. No, I learned a ton about her. And I like went and immediately followed all of her stuff. And yeah. Yeah mailing list and everything um, after speaking to her because it was just like so much really interesting stuff. And she's a big periscoper too. (laughs) Yes, she's an amazing periscoper. She's a daily periscoper, so check her out on Periscope. Okay, so if you like our show and you'd like to contribute to the making of them, you can now sign up for a monetary pledge per show via the crowdfunding site Patreon. You decide how much and you can even set up a per month cap. Plus, we have fun rewards for you at each level. For complete info, visit SavvyHomeschoolMoms.com forward slash Patreon. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Excellent. And for links to resources shared in this episode and to view notes on all of our shows, you can visit us on the web at SavvyHomeschoolMoms.com. And you can find the show notes specific to this episode at SavvyHomeschoolMoms.com forward slash 59. And while you're on our site, you can drop us a note or a voicemail and let us know if you have any ideas for show topics or guests. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great week and come back and take a break with us again next time. Goodbye. Bye. I'm Tina. I'm Becky. And And we're we're the the Savvy Homeschool. Oh, my God, that was horrible. That was fun. (laughs) That was the worst. Yeah. I'm Tina. I'm Becky. And, and we're, we're the, the Savvy Homeschool Moms. Well, we weren't so, even sync that time. <laughs> oh. <laughs>